Word to First Thessalonians, please, and find the third chapter. We're going to be finishing up our thoughts there at that third chapter. First Thessalonians chapter three. Naraj Narayanan said, "If you want to know a person, 
If you want to know a person, travel with him. He went on to say, if you want to know him in and out, climb a mountain with him. Go up a mountain with him for seven days. See how he speaks of the skies and the earth. See if he helps those who aren't as strong or fit as him. See not just if, but also how he helps them. See how he reacts when his own strength leaves him and he's tired. See his eyes when you see something beautiful. And he said, by the time you come down, you might love each other a lot more or you might never want to know each other again. The mountain teaches you a lot. I will attest that there's something about traveling with someone that really lets you see the real person. Especially if you take an extended journey with them. When you get to see them in all sorts of different settings, under stress, tired, and all the rest. But there's another way you can really learn about someone that I personally found to be the case. And it's sharing a prayer time together. To listen to them pray when it's just you and them. And I don't mean little formal memorized prayers. I mean real, honest, at times gut-wrenching prayer. To hear how they address the Father, to hear how they ask for things, to hear the emotion and the passion in their voice, and to be there when the tears come down or the praises ring out. In today's passage, we get to experience a little bit of the prayer life of Paul. We're actually going to take a peek at his prayer list. And as we take a peek at his prayer list, we're going to see what's important to him. We get a glimpse from the prayer list that we're going to talk about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 that Paul had that will show us what his time with the Father was like. Now, you're there by now, I hope, in chapter 3. We're just going to read three verses today, or four verses rather, 10 through 13. And it says, beginning at verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians 3, Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, as we're given a sneak peek here at Paul's prayer list, I want to note several things about it. We're really only looking at a section of his prayer list, and this section on his prayer list focused on the Thessalonians. It focused on these believers in Thessalonica. Perhaps it was labeled as such on this list. We don't know. But we do know if Paul had a written prayer list, if it was actually written out, it would be quite big, the list itself. It contained a lot of items. David Jeremiah noted that while, while Paul no doubt prayed for himself and even asked others to do so on his behalf, there are no fewer than 42 instances, listen, 42 instances of prayers, of thanksgiving, and intercession for others found in Paul's 13 epistles or letters. 
So you have 13 letters that he wrote, and in those 13 letters, there are no fewer than 42 times we find him praying on behalf of someone else. And so his prayer list must have been pretty large, to say the least. Not only was it big, but with all those requests, it was also well-worn and tattered. It was tattered and well-worn. Look back at verse number 10. It says in the beginning there, night and day praying. Paul was such a man of prayer. He didn't just pray for five minutes a day. It says he prayed at night. He prayed during the day. He prayed during the day. And he prayed throughout the night, it seems. One has to wonder if he would grip that list. If he had a written list, if he would grip that list at times and kind of pull on it as he pleaded. It says there that he prayed exceedingly. That's what verse 10 says, exceedingly. That means he prayed earnestly. He prayed fervently. These were not little, meaningless, trite prayers that he was praying. He was pleading on behalf of others to Almighty God and his passion could be felt within that prayer. His prayer list is big, no doubt. It's tattered. It's well-worn. But if we keep taking kind of a peek at his prayer list, kind of looking over his shoulder, if you will, we find there's a section concerning the Thessalonians that he might have labeled ministry needs. Ministry needs. Now, I've got to tell you right away that whenever you have ministry, you have needs. We find that here. And as a ministry grows and expands, it seems like the needs also grow and expand. But under these ministry needs on his prayer list, we notice three different requests that he offers to the Lord, that he prays concerning his ministry to those in Thessalonica. He asks, first of all, that he might see them again. Did you notice that in verse number 10? Verse number 10 says that he prays night and day that we may see your face. He wanted to personally see them. He wanted to personally be with these precious brothers and sisters. He didn't just want to go and have a letter sent to him. He didn't just want to send a substitute, although he did do that with Timothy because he couldn't go. He wanted to personally see them and greet them. And there's such a special bond, is there not, between Christian brothers and sisters? Or at least there should be. I hope you have a love in your heart for brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a desire to be with them. There's a desire to see them. There's a desire to spend time with them. We should have that in our church, in this corporate gathering. We should have that in our Sunday school times, in our small group times. There's a special bond among the family of God, and that includes even the weirder members of the family. Every family has weird people in it, right? By the way, if you're having a hard time thinking about who the weird ones are in your family and you can't come up with anybody, that means you're the weird one, all right? (laughs) But you love the weird ones too. You want to be with them. You want to see them. You want to spend time with them. There's something about it. And we live in a great day of technology and we have actually, we can see people on FaceTime. We can see their face as we're talking with them. Paul didn't have that. They didn't have that back then. But even that's not enough when you love someone. There are those times you want to see each other face to face. You want to hear them. You want to touch them. You want to be in their presence. And Paul cries out in this regards to the ministry of the Thessalonians. He says, I'm praying night and day that I might see you again. I want to see you. So he prays that he might see them. But he also prays that he might teach them. Look back at verse 10 again. He said that he wanted to perfect what was lacking in their faith. Now, Timothy, remember, he sent Timothy as a substitute. Paul couldn't go personally. He sends his protege, his assistant, his, his son of the faith, Timothy, 
to go and check on them. Timothy goes and checks on them, brings back a good report. It encourages Paul. It blesses Paul. Paul is thrilled about it. But remember that these are newer Christians. And as newer Christians, there was still much they needed to be taught. There was still much they needed to learn. They needed to grow in their doctrinal understanding. Doctrine just is a big word for teaching. They need to understand the teaching of our faith, the teaching of Christianity. And by the way, that's true of every believer, no matter where we are in our journey of faith. There's always more to learn. There's always more to grow. There's never a point we say, you know what, I'm done, I know it all, I understand it all, I'm kind of done, I've arrived. There's never a time of that. There's always growth and maturity that can be attained in our Christian life, no matter if we've been a Christian for five years or 50 years. When we first start out, when we first start out our Christian life and we begin to understand and grow in our understanding of, of our faith and of God, we're, we're kind of like a child that lives on a lake, but he lives in a cove that's kind of tucked around a corner and it's kind of tucked away. It's one of those coves where you go by, you can't really see everything that's in the cove. And that child is there in the cove. And when people talk about where he lives, he said he lives in the lake. But when he thinks about a lake, he thinks about that cove. He sees the few houses on that cove. He sees the water on that cove. He sees the boats on that cove. That's his understanding of the lake. He says, oh, do you, go, do you live in the lake? Yes, I live in the lake. And he thinks about that cove. But then one day in his life, in his young life, somebody pulls up on a boat and he's never been out on a boat. And he and his family, they go on the boat because they didn't have one. And they begin to journey at that cove and they get to the end and they go around the corner and it opens up before him this vast body of water. It's a large lake. And he begins to realize that his world, the lake, is so much larger than his little cove. And he realizes there's so much water he's never seen. He didn't know about. He hadn't explored it. He didn't realize there were other coves. He didn't realize all of this vast expanse out here. Because why? He's been tucked around in his cove. And his understanding begins to broaden. When it comes to our faith, we're a lot like that as we grow in our knowledge and our understanding of the Bible and understanding of God. It starts out small. It begins to grow larger and larger. And then before we know it, what happens is we begin to realize there's so much I'll never know at all. You know, that, that little boy can't explore every bit of the water. He can't swim in every inch of the lake. But he wants to explore as much as he can. He wants to grow and experience as much as he can. And that's the way it should be in our Christian life that we should see perfected that which we lack. It means completing, maturing us in our faith. Our our world can become really small. I think that's one of the dangers we have as a church that's kind of tucked away in the country. Our our world understanding of Christianity can become so small where we think every bit and everybody's just like us when they're not. We're united in Christ, but there's a great big world. And that world needs Jesus. And there are brothers and sisters who look different than us and sound different than us and worship different than us. And we need to celebrate them and rejoice with them because we're going to spend eternity with them. And so Paul, I want you to hear Paul's heart here. This is not just an academic thing. This is not just blowing smoke here. He, he longs to see them. He wants to personally see them, to see them face to face. He wants to teach them. He wants to perfect that which is lacking in their faith. And then he prays, and he continues praying here, he prays that he might go to them. That he might go to them. Look at verse 11. 
It says in verse 11, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Now that's an interesting request when you think about it. You have to remember that the New Testament was written not in English and certainly not in the southern speaking of English. It was written in Greek. And, and that request there is very interesting. You go back and study where it says that may, may God direct our way to you. You remember if you were here last week, back in chapter 2, verse 18, Paul talks about the fact that he wanted to go and see them personally, but he could not go and see them personally. Why? Because Satan had hindered him. The enemy had hindered him. And I told you that word hindered there literally means it's the idea of an army who breaks up the road of its enemy. You know, armies would come through and they'd break up the roads. They'd break up the supply lines. They couldn't get the needed supplies in. And that's the picture where it says he's hindered me. He's broken up the road. We talked about spiritual warfare and our enemy who is real. Here he says what? He says he prayed that, he, that God would direct our way to you. Now that word direct there is very interesting. It literally means to make straight or to level. What Paul is asking God to do here in a real sense is, God, would you repair those roads and let me go to Thessalonica? Would you make them smooth? Would you make them straight? Would you repair? Would you remove the hindrances that are there because of the enemy, because of the spiritual warfare, I want to get on the road to Thessalonica. Reminded me of John Denver's singing. Maybe you remember the song, Country Roads. Take me home to the place. I belong, West Virginia. Mountain mama, take me home. Country Roads. John knew where he wanted to go. Paul did too. Paul, in a sense, he says... Country roads, take me to Thessalonica. I'm ready to go. Heavenly Father, not Mountain Mama. Heavenly Father. Don't mess with Mountain Mama, by the way. Heavenly Father, take me to Thessalonica. Make the road there. Take me back there. I want to be with them. I want to see them. I want to teach them. It's important to notice here, we're talking about ministry requests. But all these ministry requests are personal requests that Paul is making. But did you notice something interesting about his requests? All of his requests are other-centered. The reason he wants to see them, the reason he wants to teach them, the reason he wants to go to them is what? For their sake. To bless them, to teach them, to help them, to strengthen them. These requests are kingdom-centered. They're gospel-centered. By the way, where are you asking God to send you? John Denver wanted to go to West Virginia. Paul wanted to go to Thessalonica. Where are you asking God to send you? Where is it that you need to go with the gospel and go with the good news and go to strengthen that which remains? There's no selfishness here. What Paul asked for himself is simply to serve and bless others. Now, I'm not discouraging or discounting personal prayer or even personal requests. They're biblical. You ought to pray about the personal needs in your life. You ought to have personal requests. But we don't struggle much with those. I mean, there's not much training that needs to take place sometimes. Say, listen, you need to ask God for this or that. No, we're pretty good at that. 
Where we often drop the ball is here. We fail to ask for others. We fail to be truly selfless in our ministry mindset. We need to move from ours to others. From me and mine to ministry. From inward to outward. It's so easy for us, even as a church family, to get so centered here and focused here and thinking about us and ours and mine, we forget about them. Those outside these walls. And minister to them. Think about your prayer list. You say, well, I don't use a prayer list. Okay, well, let's think about this. Think about if your prayers were transcribed. Depending on your age, you might get the picture of a court recorder of a little device sitting there, or you might think about uh, AI. But imagine as you're praying, whether you're thinking or saying it, your prayers are transcribed. Everything you say is written down. It's recorded. You can go back and read it. When you look at your prayer list, or you read the transcription, how much time is spent in prayer for others? The Bible calls it intercession. How much of our prayers are me-centered versus God-centered and others? All are appropriate, by the way. Again, I'm not discouraging or discounting that you need to pray for your personal requests. But we need to pray for others. Now, you might be wondering... Did Paul get to go and see them? Did he get to go there personally? Well, we have to fast forward about five years. Five years. Think about how long five years is. But it appears that God did indeed grant this request if you go and read Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. It reminds us, beloved, that sometimes the request is right, but the timing is not right. Really, there's two or three things we need to line up sometimes when it comes to getting our prayers answered. The request needs to be right, the timing needs to be right, and we need to be right. Sometimes the delay comes because the timing's not right. Sometimes the delay comes because we're not right. We're not ready. And sometimes the request isn't right, so the answer is simply no. But the request was right, but the timing wasn't right, and so the request was eventually granted, but it took years. And so I say that to say this, keep praying. If the request is right, keep praying. Keep praying. Well, look at his prayer list again. We're kind of peeking over his shoulder at this big, well-worn, tattered Request, we see that list of ministry needs. And we notice another section, and this section may be labeled character needs. And under this label, Paul prays for the Thessalonians and he prays that they might grow in two particular areas. First of all, he prays that they might grow in their love. Grow in their love. Look at verse 12. And may the Lord... Make you increase and abound, watch this, in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. Now, now they were already loving. They were already loving. But they had room to grow in their loving. By the way, that's always the case. You can be a loving person. I hope you are. A lot of you are. Really loving. But you can always grow in your love. And notice he prayed that their love would not only increase 
but it would abound. What does that mean? Well, I want you to think about a glass of water. A glass of water is only half filled. We're going to increase the water. You get a pitcher, you begin to pour into that glass. And as we're pouring the water in, the water begins to increase. It begins to hold more water. And it gets right up to the top, gets right up to the rim of the glass, but we don't stop pouring. We keep pouring. And the water begins to overflow the glass and get on everything around it. That's the picture here. I pray that you would increase in your love and abound in it to one another. That your love would grow so much that it just gets on everybody around you. Hmm. And not just to one another, it says. Did you notice? It says, I pray that your love would increase and abound in love to one another, that is, brothers and sisters in Christ. But then he says, and to all, just as we do to you. Not just to other believers, but to everybody. We're supposed to love everyone. You've got to remember, biblical love is not just an emotion. It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not a tingly inside. Biblical agape love is a choice that we make. It's a choice. It's Jesus' type of love. We choose to serve, to love, to help, to minister to. We choose to love. You can't command feelings. You understand that? Somebody's weeping and you command, I command you to laugh. Well, you can command all you want. So when the Bible commands us to love, you've got to remember it's not just a feeling. Feelings are a part of it. They'll come. But it's a choice that you make in the power of the Holy Spirit to love. It's a fruit of the Spirit, is it not? And so when he says here, I want you to abound, increase and abound in your love to one another... And a lot of times that's easy. Sometimes it's not. Remember, there's weird members of the family. But, but we love one another. But then when it says, but to all. So that means people that are not like us. That means we're supposed to love those that are in the other political party. We're supposed to love others who live in a different part of town than us. We're supposed to love people that have different thoughts and ideas than us. We're supposed to love people that we really don't like. And they don't like us. Remember, love is a choice. And he's praying that we would increase in our love and abound in our love. Overflowing in our love. And by the way, we can't do that on our own. We need the power of God working in us through His Holy Spirit to help us to love as we ought to love. I've I got to ask, as I think about this, when we think about love, we can't mention love, I don't think, without mentioning about the love of God. Because they say in the end of verse 12, just as we do to you, remember I told you last week, think about for a moment who's writing this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was not always the Apostle Paul. He was Saul, the persecutor of the church. And because Christ extended His love to Saul of Tarsus, converted him, changed his life, put a new heart within him, now Saul is Paul who loves these believers so much that he's begging God that he might be able to go see them and teach them and be with them. Because God loved Saul. Saul, who is now known as Paul, loves the brethren. 
works the same way for us. We love Him because He first loved us. And because He loved us, now we can love Him and love each other and love others out there. And the love that God has is an awesome love. It's a love that is so powerful and so motivating that it caused Him to give His Son. The Bible says, For God so loved the world. That's the people that make up the world. God so loved the world, the people in the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. That's Jesus. Jesus came and lived a sinless, perfect life. He's always been God, but He took upon Himself the form of a man. He became a man, a perfect God and perfect man. He lived as a man, but He never did wrong. He never sinned. Sin is, sin is disobeying God. Sin is going against God's law. Sin is missing the mark of God's glory. He never sinned. He perfectly fulfilled the law, did everything He should do, but then He voluntarily, because of His love, gave His life on the cross. And he suffered and died and shed his precious blood. And he did that because of our sin. Because our sin, our wrongdoing, separates us from a holy God. We can't do anything to get to God. We're, we're dead in our sins. We, we, all of our righteousness are, are filthy rags. There's nothing we can do. But God loves us. Christ died for us. He shed his precious blood for us. The Bible says he was buried. He was fully dead. But then he arose again. He lives again. He took his life back up. And in doing so, he conquered death, sin, the grave, hell. And the Bible says if we will trust the work that Jesus did on the cross in our place, our substitute, if we'll trust Him and what He's done, He forgives us of our sin. He cleanses us. He, he makes us new creation on the inside. We're totally new. We're forgiven. Not only that, we're adopted into His family. We're made a son or daughter of God. We can now love God. We can love each other. We can love the world. We can live with victory in our lives. We're, we're not perfect practically speaking, but in Christ we are. But every day we're growing in our love. We're growing in our faith. We're becoming more like Jesus and one day we'll be totally like Jesus because the Bible goes on to talk about the end, which it does here, about His second coming. And I won't get into all that, but I'll just say this much this morning. One day we'll be perfect, perfected. And we'll be perfect. Even so come, Lord Jesus. But it begins with you giving your life to Jesus, trusting Him saying, God, I, I am a sinner. I have done wrong. And I know there's nothing I can do, but I trust what Jesus has already done for me. And I, I take that. I take it by faith. I believe that. So would you take my life and change me? I give you my life. The love of God totally transforms our life. And that love from God should operate in us and through us to one another and to each other. I, I think sometimes a simple example helps. I love what Chuck Swindoll did. He took the, words, took the word love and used those letters, and I'll give them to you all at once and we'll talk about them. He made an acronym simply like this, love. What are some practical ways we can love each other and love other people? You just remember the word love, you can remember to do these four things. Number one, L stands for listen. 
one of the most loving things we can do for others is to listen to them. Some people, that's, that's what they're crying out for. They want to be heard. Some people want to be heard more than others. But when we really listen to someone, we show love. I mean really listen. I don't mean like we're just kind of waiting. Because a lot of time our listening looks like this. We're forming our response while the other person's talking. If you want to help your marriage, listen. Say, well, I don't want to hear what they have to say. Well, then you really need to listen. Listen. Be gracious and hear what they have to say. Sometimes you don't have to even say anything or respond or even do anything. If you just really listen and they know they've been heard, they feel love. O is for overlooked. This is the idea of forgiving minor offenses, unpleasant flaws in somebody else. Sometimes people, they may do things or say things and, and, and they don't mean anything by it. You could take offense at it. You could be upset about it. But, but love overlooks all that it can. It just overlooks. They might be late, something happened, and you, you're Mr. or Mrs. Punctual. You just, you know, you just forgive it. But they may forget to do something, whatever. You just overlook. Love thinks no evil. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Love overlooks a lot of things. V stands for value, which indicates that we respect and we honor the other person. We appreciate them, he says, for who they are, and we see in them someone for whom the Savior has died. I want you to think about the person that maybe you would most dislike. I don't mean an actual individual, but if you could draw up in your mind the person that is just like the anti-everything you are and can stand. I mean, maybe you drive a monster truck and they drive a Prius. I mean, that sort of thing, you know? You've got to remember that no matter who they are, they, they may have a, a bumper sticker or a five on their car that just kind of turns your stomach. You've got to remember their value. They're made in the image of God. Jesus died for them. Jesus loves them. Jesus wants to save them. Jesus wants a relationship with them. He wants to spend eternity with them. And we have to rethink our values to realize that there are people that we may not mesh with on a personality level. We may not even go at it socially, but we need to love and value people that are made in the image of God. And I mean even people that we can't even stomach. I mean, they may do horrendous things. We don't condone their horrendous actions, but we realize that they're made in the image of God. It's ter terribly marred as it is in all of us because of sin. But God wants to save them. They have value. Everybody does. And then E reminds us to express our love. For it is, he says, demonstrative. We do not just feel love or say loving things. We show it by doing what is best for the other person. By the way, sometimes that's hard. In parenting, it's hard. We express love sometimes through discipline. Because we love. It's not always just, you know, roses and flowers. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's messy. But we do express love. Yes, we use words. Yes, we have feelings. But we express it in practical ways. So remember that. 
This week, when you go out, try to love others. Listen to them. Overlook the minor things. Value them as people and express your love in practical ways that bless them. Now, you might be wondering, did God answer this prayer? He prayed that they would be loving and that they would increase in their love. They would overflow, abound in their love to one another and to all just like Paul and his associates loved them. Well, it's interesting. If you go, put your finger where you are, or it may be right across the page like in my Bible, but if you have 1 Thessalonians 3 where we are, if you'll find the next book, his next letter, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1, look at what verse 3 says. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3. He says it this way, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly, and I watch this next part, and the love of every one of you all does what? Abounds toward each other. God answered his prayer. Now we're talking about character needs. First thing he's praying for is they would abound and increase in their love. And then the next one, the final one we're going to talk about today is he's asking that they would increase in their holiness. They would grow in their holiness. Look at verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Remember, every chapter in 1 Thessalonians refers to the second coming Christ in some way, shape, or form. Then you need to grow in their holiness. We need to grow in our holiness. We need to grow in our purity. Now, one day we'll be perfectly holy, practically speaking. Even so come Lord Jesus. But until that day as we're living in this sin-cursed fallen world, we're redeemed, we've been saved, but we still live in broken bodies in a broken world. We still struggle with sin. We need to allow God the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts <clears throat> and we cooperate with Him as He works to make us more and more like Jesus. Now, the whole idea of holiness is really not seen a lot in our world today. We don't hear much about holiness, and we don't see, at times, much holiness. We too often, we pattern our lives after the world instead of patterning our lives after Jesus. We need to live holy and pure lives. And again, we don't do this in our own strength because we can't. We cooperate as God the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and begins to apply it to our hearts and teach us. We live in obedience. We live in repentance. When God reveals flaws, when God shows us things that are not right, when we sin, when we fail, when we miss the mark, we keep a short account with God. We go and say, God, I did wrong. I agree with you that it's wrong. Forgive me. Help me not to do that again. The Bible is very clear in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's writing to believers there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I've got to remind you of something very important. I'll throw this in for free today. When we're confessing sins, that does not mean that we're no longer Christians, we're saved eternally if we're truly saved. Make sure you understand this. But as Christians, we still sin. And so the forgiveness at this point in our relationship with the Lord is no longer judicial. 
It's no longer a judge declaring us right and free and clean. That happens at the cross. At the cross, we're justified. That's a theological term. We're credited with Christ's righteousness. It's the imputation the Bible talks about. Christ gives us His righteousness and He takes away our sin. Judicially speaking, the judge, God Almighty, declares us righteous and saved and redeemed and on our way to heaven at the foot of the cross. That's a one-time thing. So you say, well, what happens when we sin? Do we lose our salvation? No, you do not. But you impact your fellowship with the Father. We're moving from judicial realm to parental realm, family realm. In other words, God is our Father. When we sin, we hurt the fellowship we have with our Father. And so we confess our sin. We go to the Father, say, Father, I've sinned. Please forgive me. Restore our fellowship one with another and help me not to do that again. Help me to have strength to overcome that, to not yield to that temptation. We understand this on a practical level. When you think about your son or your daughter, your granddaughter, your grandson, there's nothing they can do. I mean, even horrendous things that would make you turn from them or disown them or say, you're no longer my son or daughter, but there's a whole lot they can do that hurts the harmony of the home and the fellowship of the home. Now, this is where the illustration kind of breaks down. You know why? Because you have sinful parents and sinful children. When it comes to the Heavenly Father, if there's a problem in the fellowship, it's always us. Because God is perfect. So we move away from the Father. We have to come back to the Father in confession and repentance. And Paul is praying here that they would grow in their holiness. Grow in their purity. Grow in their Christ-likeness. They might be blameless at the coming of the Son. And you might be wondering, well, how did God answer this prayer? We've got to go to the next letter again. Go to 2 Thessalonians, this time chapter 1. And drop down to verse 7 and then 10. I'm going to read it from the NLT because it says it very bluntly. But 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. He's talking about the Lord and God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, talking about the return of the Lord Jesus. He will come with His mighty angels. He goes on to talk about other things there, about judgment and so forth. But drop down to verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians 1. 2 Thessalonians 1.10, here's what he says. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe, and this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. Hmm. I've got to remind you today before we close up shop that God is relentless in his work with us. In other words, He doesn't give up on us. Philippians 1.6 promises that He which hath begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You and I are, at times, very easily discouraged and we give up. I ain't doing that anymore. Pardon my grammar, but I ain't doing it anymore. I give up on her. I'm done with Him. We just give up. God the Father never gives up on us. He chastens us. He disciplines us. He loves us. 
He corrects us. Why? Because He loves us. And because He loves us, He's working to make us like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's so much here. We've got to close up shop because we've got to go. But as we've looked at Paul's prayer list, beloved, I hope it's challenged you. It's challenged me to take a fresh look at my prayer life. And really, really, ask the question, is my prayer life, is it kingdom-centered? Is it missions-minded? Is it others-focused? Is it just about me and mine and ours? Or do, am I just like that little boy in the, in the cove there at the lake? It's just, this is my little world here? Or, or am I on the boat going out and realizing it's so much bigger? There's so much more to explore. There's so much more of God to understand and to know and to experience. And I want others to come on the boat with me. And let's do it together. That's discipleship, isn't it? Follow me as I follow Christ. So I want to challenge you this week as you go out to think about Paul's prayer list. See what yours looks like in regards to him. And if you're wondering, what do I pray for people? Because sometimes you don't know what to pray for people. You know, you, you prayed for their big toe. You prayed for everything else. What do you pray for people? Well, how about pray this? God, would you grow them in their love? Their love for you. Their love for the body of Christ. Their love for the lost. And God, would you grow them in their heart? Now, you're praying this for them. You've already prayed it for yourself, I hope. But God, would you grow them in their holiness? Would you help them to see the need for, for purity, for, for cleanness in their life? See, we're moving from physical to spiritual needs. From, from temporal to eternal needs. At the, at the very best, the very best, and technology is progressing, but I understand the human lifespan is going backward. If they live to be 100, if they live to be 105, if some of y'all are on machines and some of you young ones is just your head and a whole electronic body, if you live to be 150, I won't be here to see that, thank the Lord, but if you live to be 150, consider that in relationship to forever. To eternity. What are we focused on? We're thinking about this over here. Most of us are halfway there or beyond. And yet we're still here, here, here instead of thinking about there and thinking about others. Father, we love You. We praise You. We glorify You. <clears throat> Help us, Lord. We are so earthbound, so temporal in our thinking, so centered on ourself and our stuff. Lord, broaden our horizon. Help us to realize that Jesus died for the world. Jesus died for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. They all need to hear the gospel. Help us to grow in our holiness. Help us to grow and abound in our love. Our love for one another and our love for the lost. And especially our love for you. Work in hearts and lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have an altar here. You can come forward and...
you'd like to talk with someone more about Jesus or more about the gospel, we would love to do it. If you want to come and pray about something, certainly appropriate today as we've been talking so much about prayer. 429, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. And it continues from there. The altar is open. You come as God leads. 429, sweet hour of prayer. Let's stand together.